I wanted to get honest with you here. We've reached a time in history when managing through fear and intimidation, command and control power structures, and do-as-I-say ways of managing no longer work. To speed up the effectiveness of your leadership team and the growth of your business, there's a much better way of leading. Now, as many of you know, I speak often at company events and conferences all over the world. If you bring me to speak at your event, you're going to discover the evidence-based leadership practices that result in a positive, engaging, and high-performing organization. Leaders will walk away with a practical framework to help design the best work environment for their people to flourish. Because when they do, your business will flourish as well. To find out more about my speaking engagements, workshops, and keynotes, visit my website, marcelschwantes.com, and click on Speaking. The future of work isn't about shareholder value, technology, metrics, or automation. It's about being human and putting people first through actionable love. Welcome to the Love in Action podcast, where we hold deep conversations with extraordinary people to help you grow as a leader and expand your business. Here's your host, Marcel Schwantes. Hey, welcome to the Love in Action podcast. Glad you could join us. And as always, we ask you to spread the love by sharing this episode with a friend. And if you like what you hear, go ahead and jump on the Apple podcast app and leave us a rating and a review. We'd greatly appreciate it. Say hello to my co-host, three-time author, Rob Holman. Marcel, what a joy. You and I, it is a real treat every single time we get a chance to share amongst ourselves, as well as when we invite a guest on. So uh, this yeah. was, just like all the other times, meaningful, purposeful, and uh, a lot of great content. Yeah, today we actually had the opportunity to speak to a great leader and an author, and I'm talking about Stephen Van Valen. He is the author of The Search for Meaning at Work, Unleashing the Hidden Power of Purpose to Engage and Fulfill Your Workforce. There's the book cover if you're watching on YouTube. Rob, uh, first of all, thank you for inviting Steve because this contact really came from your network. Yeah, well, Steve and I have been friends for years and I've always admired his work in shaping cultures, encouraging leaders all over the globe. But what I've really appreciated about him is what a great friend he is. He's loyal. He is who he is, regardless of where he goes. And thus, in and out of that place, he can give a lot of himself away. So my joy, my privilege, for sure. Yeah. I was amazed after hearing this conversation about how passionate Steve is about creating cultures. His calling is, and his whole work is is anchored on changing the experience of work by teaching and coaching and training leaders on how to give more meaning and more purpose for people at work so that they are engaged. Yeah, that's so true. And I think one of the things I truly appreciate about Steve Marcel is he really brings out the difference between purpose and meaning. And I think where we went in our conversation is that having a purposeful foundation, I loved that he provided a really needed and practical framework for purpose. And he breaks it down and talk about transcendent purpose, 
transformative purpose and transactional purpose. And in other words, when you wrap your arms around, he does unpack these three. When you wrap your arms around and truly unpack the three of these, you know, you find out that you're living more of a purpose-driven life than you would ever even realize. And in essence, what you're doing, you start to ride that wave based on awareness then, and it provides more meaning in your life and work life. Yeah. So a little bit about Steve, and we're going to get you right into the a recording of, of our conversation. Uh, he designs and executes winning culture and employee engagement strategy. Steve led culture and brand development at the multimedia shopping leader. We've all heard of it, QVC. He was there for 14 years. And QVC's collaborative culture became their ultimate strategic advantage. And they grew beyond 10 billion in annual revenue with this philosophy that Steve brought on and he, he led the effort to align the development of teams and employees at all levels at QVC. Since then, he founded his own consulting firms. He is founder of Culturology and a partner with Consinity. His practice specializes in building culture fluency through the articulation of leading principles, activating employee engagement and high-performance collaboration. Some of his clients include NASA, the Philadelphia Phillies, SAP, Boeing, to name a few. He's also the co-host of the Survive and Thrive podcast, and he's a talented keynote speaker. Steve lives outside of Philadelphia with his wife and two children. And might I add, I just found out this after we got off the call, and Steve is also a drummer. And we talked about Van Halen a lot, didn't we? We sure did. Yeah. I mean, he is one of the most creative minds and has one of the most creative hearts I know. So now to just think through that with the lens that he is a drummer, have fun with it, Marcel, right? <laughs> so let's get right to it. Let's jump in and welcome Steve Van Valen to the podcast. Here we go. And Steve Van Valen now joins us. Steve, welcome to the Love and Action podcast. Thank you so much, Marcel. Great to be here. Yeah, it's, it's great to have you. And uh, hey, we start the show with this question. You ready? Yes, sir. What's your story? <laughs> What's my story? Um, well, I'm a country boy at heart. I grew up in central Pennsylvania and um, have some of those country boy values that uh, maybe have informed <laughs> most of my life going forward. I would say that I've always been a person who has been perpetually asking the why question. I used to exasperate my parents and grandparents asking why, why, why to everything that I encountered. I was fascinated with why people do things or why things happen. And uh, my mom used to say I was having a midlife crisis, you know, even at the age of eight. So, uh, but I've carried that forward and it's been sort of my, uh, my strength in a way to have that curiosity to explore things about the why. And so I, I've ended up in a profession in life where I help other people unpack that as well. And it's a real privilege because I get to sort of tickle my why funny bone on, uh, you know, as, as I go through with them and see the light bulbs go off on uh, on how they discover that that for themselves is there like a, a you know a, a purpose statement for what you do for what your why is how would you call it yeah i mean 
it's really about giving people the best opportunity to um, to to find their strengths and to to really be able to manifest them uh, in, in life to bring joy to others. And when you think about the work experience and how much time we spend there, that we don't think of it as a place that wow, I should be getting joy from work. So that that's my that's really my purpose and the work that I do is to highlight that for people and to to uncover it. It's already there. It has to be revealed like the statue of David, you know, it's revealed this it's in the stone, you know, the purpose and the meaning that we get from our work. And so I'm there to, as a chi- I'm a chiseler. That's my purpose in life. <laughs> I just figure that out. <laughs> you Marcel, I got to share this. Steve, one of the things I've always admired about you over the years, we've been friends for years, is you are just so youthful. You know, there's there's just a spark in your soul that regardless of your life season or life stage, it just can't help but come out. And that helps catch other people on fire with passion and purpose. Because it's one thing to talk about purpose, the why and the why behind the why, but when you live it, it's a whole other thing. So I just want to say thank you for living and breathing your purpose. I appreciate you. Well, my my pleasure. Discovery is so fun for everybody. And I think that's really universal to discover things about yourself and to be able to, to you know, have positive change be part of part of our modus operandi every single day. So thank you. Hmm. Well, lots of questions from Rob and me about this book. So let's unpack it. I mean, start from the top and give us the sort of the the thirty thousand foot level of of this book. Yeah. So I I was really after. Uh, the idea of how we engage people at work. I, I was leading the culture at QVC, and we were doing year-over-year measurement of how people were engaged. And we really looked at our culture as a competitive advantage hmm. at QVC, and it, and it truly was. Like compared to our our nearest competitor, every like all things were equal except for our culture. That was the only thing we had complete total control over. Versus them, all the systems and processes and overall big strategies were essentially the same yet qvc was able with within 10 years double the uh the annual ebitda of of our nearest competitor and we look back on that culture as the decisions we were making in the trenches every single day making making a difference so my job was really about like how do we keep people engaged at work to be able to have this advantage working for us, this um, these transactions of decision making that were superior, perhaps not perfect, but uh, but much better. And I remember sitting in my my office, and I got an email that came through from Harvard Harvard Business School, and it was about this new new research that had just been completed by Teresa Mable, the head of research there talking about the progress principle. And the way she described the progress principle was that people who were making progress in meaningful work, and that's a key word, were the ones that had the highest lift in being engaged, not just in that given day, like where they made progress, but continuously. And they were able to be um, impacting others around them with this idea of being fully engaged in their work. So I was like, Gosh, this is in a sense like the holy grail of what it, what I was looking for to say. This seems like it's sustainable. 
like if I if we can put the progress principle into place for for people and leaders who are often frustrated that this would give them that buoyancy to be engaged and, and keep up the great work that they're doing. So I I ended up contacting Teresa Amable. It's one of the most nervous phone calls of my entire life. Like, who am I to talk to the head of research at Harvard, right? And uh, other than like asking my my wife's father for a hand in marriage, like it was a, a very nervous <laughs> phone call. And she was so kind and like interested. And as a huge academic, like to be able to put her principles, you know, on the road, tires meeting the road surface, uh, she was very interested in that. So I I got permission to to design programs around the progress principle, much to my delight. And she said, she asked me if she could track on it, which was even better. So when I'd be in workshops talking about this idea of making progress in meaningful work, that was the number one discovery that they made for engagement and performance. People sort of intuitively understood what progress was, like you get stuff done, right? You make make things happen. But when we started talking about like what makes it meaningful, that's when they started scratching their heads like, I, I get that, but I'm not 100% sure how to do this. And I kept seeing this over and over again. And, you know, we all have our sense of what makes work meaningful and, and all, but I wanted a way to really be able to describe it to people, to put it in the context of work and have people be more conscious of it, to realize that it's in play. It's not just beneath the surface. It's actually in play for everything that we're trying to do. So long story to say, I set out on the journey to put the progress with the meaning. I, I wanted to unpack the meaning so that it could be a more evident for people. And so that that's how I started be, to write the book, doing the research on that, kind of looking at all, all different aspects of how other um, successful leaders or, or people in life um, were able to do that for themselves. Yeah. You know, I, Steve, Steve, I got to share this with you. Uh, you know, j kudos for you. We said this even before we pushed the record button, but I've got to highlight it publicly here. Kudos for you for making that contact at Harvard. You know, there's so not a whole lot of leaders. Sometimes we, we know we have a good idea. We know we have uh, you know, amazing content. We even believe it could be groundbreaking to some degree. But yet in partnering with others that are doing similar work, sometimes with great hesitancy, we even make that call, if in fact we even make it. But you did, and it speaks a lot to your courage and the underlining belief system that you have, that you matter, and this deep-seated message on your heart also matters. And in essence, what I take from that is you get yourself out of the way in that process to be like, it's not about you. It's about the message that you want to see go out that can ultimately impact lives. So thank you. Yeah. So we haven't, we haven't touched on the word purpose the way that, I mean, you know, it's, it, it's, it's not a marquee word yet for this discussion. So let's bring this into the conversation because when I think of employees that have meaning in their work, it drives their purpose. So is that the link between meaning me, when you have meaning at work that, that you have purpose and that's what engages the heart and the mind and the soul of the individual. Well, I may hitch up the, the train a little bit yeah. um, differently than that. I, I see purpose as being the, the engine that drives meaning. 
And um, the reason being, when you think about a purpose, and I, I talked about this in the book where I, usually we think about that lofty transcendent purpose that you have to climb the, the mysterious smoky mountain to meet the sage at the top and like, tell me what my meat, you know, the purpose of my life is and that you only have one. <laughs> and that would be a transcendent thing that, that uh, this is very important by the way, but there's, there's other levels of purpose, which are very significant, such as transformative purpose. Like you, Marcel, creating this podcast that's a that's a transformative purpose for for you and for so many other people, which leads to that higher place on the mountain. There's no doubt about that. Mm. But then when we think about today, this very day or this week that we're engaged in work, there's another level of purpose which is very important, and that's the transactional purpose that we have for the work and the relationships that we're creating. And even those, when we're when we're more moving toward them, when we're getting things done and moving toward that purpose, which we've identified as it could be a goal or a destination, but that purpose is something that's driving us. And when we feel that we're making progress, this is how the progress principle kicks in toward that purpose. That's the thing that gives me meaning. So I think of meaning as sort of the emotional response of me being in the quest or the journey toward fulfilling my purpose. So the meaning component is what gives you that that sense of self-efficacy, that sense of motivation that keeps you taking that next step, even though it may be a really hard one. So that's the emotional response. The the metaphor that I use in the book to describe it is think of, think about a you know, you're in a, a 737 and you're coming into the international airport. Well, about 50 miles out, the pilot and the co-pilot lock in on the glide path to get into that airport. And they really have one significant purpose in that cockpit, and that's to land that plane safely. No, I mean, that's not even negotiable. It may not even be at that airport, but it's to land the plane safely. When they lock into the glide path, they have a very clear vision. In fact, you know, the, the instruments in the panel will whoop, 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 go if they're off the glide path. And that keeps them going. They, they're getting that confirmation all the way down until they touch the runway. When we as as people have clarity of our vi- of our purpose in the same way, we're getting the same signals in our cockpit if we're if we are dialed in on that. Like this is moving toward my purpose or this is not moving toward my purpose. And we can make those course corrections along the way. So from a practical standpoint, having clarity of purpose, whether it's transcendent, transformative, or even what I'm trying to accomplish today, we can keep that plane headed toward that safe landing um, or dramatic um, results, I could, I would say, for our, ourselves and our lives. Steve, you know, so many people... I think you said this just a few minutes ago, are, are looking, you know, they're searching, they're striving to find their purpose. You know, it's all over books. It's all over content. And it's not all bad stuff. There's a lot of great stuff out there. But I think you said something earlier, like, and I'll just use my own words, that we're much closer to our purpose and even the three different aspects of purpose that you just spelled out than we would even fully realize. Yeah. 
you know, I oftentimes will say, you know, we've been walking and living our purpose, but we might not have our awareness of it <laughs> as much as we'd like to, as opposed yeah. to this unhealthy striving, trying to find it. What would you say to that leader listening that wants to be more on point with their purpose, whether it be transcendent, transformative or transactional? Yeah. What can they do to be more on point and to see that unfold in their life that much more based on awareness? Any practical things that they could be doing or not doing to open Absolutely. up those floodgates? Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. And, you know, I, I believe, Rob, that the, the most fulfilled and engaged people in life are what you'd call purpose multitaskers. Mm-hmm. So be okay with that, but be very diligent on identifying what those are categorically for yourself. And so it, that takes maybe deep reflection at the transcendent end of it all. Like, where is my life leading to in that higher purpose of 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 giving back, you know, to the world or the impression that I'm making that'll last beyond my time right here on earth. Like for people to reflect on that and be able to identify it, you get locked into that, that glide path. Doesn't guarantee you're going to stay there, but it, it, you know where, what airport you're, you're uh, hoping to land on. Same thing with transformative and transactionals. I asked People in groups, when I do workshops, like how many of you actually build a to-do list for yourself every single day? And only like a third of the hands go up and you go, how are you living your life? Like, you know, (laughs) so that in a sense, like even building a to-do list for what you need to accomplish today or this week is, is creating the conditions where that purpose is evident. And here's the other sort of (laughs) self-efficacy evidence, hard to say. Uh, of how powerful that is. I always ask people, how many of you have ever accomplished something, then written it down on your to-do list, and then checked the box? And that, you know, people usually laugh, and they, all hands go up. And it's like, how does that make sense? Like, isn't that slightly crazy? And the answer is, no, it's not crazy at all. It's because we are wired to get things done. We are wired to want that feeling of accomplishment. All of us. And so if you if you're more evident about what those things are that we want to do for ourselves, then we can check the box. Some of them, those transactional ones, we would want to check them all over and over again. So uh, remember what Stephen Covey, I mean, in his fabulous book, Seven Habits, he calls first things first, one of the habits. And I think what he meant was like the big thing that had the highest impact, if I had to summarize that. And for me, my twist on that is actually the first thing first is actually getting something done to create this flywheel of momentum that you've made progress. I mean, it could be as innocuous as like, I know I've got to call the dermatologist to make an appointment because I got a, a spot that looks a little questionable. And I finally got that appointment. Check that box. Like that, just doing that first thing before you get going in the morning builds that flywheel and um, helps people feel like they're navigating this difficult thing called life. Yeah. Wow. So, you know, you have this model for based on on 11 uh, amplifiers of meaning. And, you know, that's that's meant to help help us to identify and and really describe sort of the core purpose that, you know, that gives our work meaning. Right. I think I read that correctly. So I'd love to. 
unpack a few of those. So for the sake of time, I picked out a few for discussion that I feel is pertinent. And uh, so I want to actually jump forward to the work partner amplifier, because that's, to me, that's really key because when you're in a team environment or any work setting, you're going to be working, collaborating, uh, problem solving with people. And I'm telling you, if that requires a level of partnership where you need to get along well and, and you know get to know people well and get to know their strengths and weaknesses, their blind spots, et cetera, right? So talk a little bit about through what the work partner is and maybe wh- who is the work partner? <laughs> yeah, they're, they're probably one of the most underestimated factors for the work experience because almost all of us have that one or two, maybe three key people that we're elbow to elbow with every day, even if we're virtual, the person that we re- rely on that's working with us toward achieving a purpose. Now, managers typically look at us as individuals and want to sort of manage and you know process and give direction like a la carte individual, whereas the suggestion in the book is about thinking about that work partner as a unit. That if you can galvanize this really important relationship with each other, get to know each other, then you will run through a wall for that person. And part of the evidence of that is when you think about the most extreme circumstances, like people in combat in a war zone, and they ask them, and, th- and this happened especially like you think about Vietnam, where that war was not supported. Like they, the men over there clearly knew, you know, the rioting in the street. They'd come to the airports returning and even get, you know, uh, insults thrown at them and worse. But when they asked them, how did you perform in the field? And by the way, technically they performed very well, exceedingly well. They said, I did it for my, the guy in the foxhole next to me. Mm. And so that's a motivational element which is not to be underestimated because it led to performance. And so what is it in the workforce that we have that one or two people? And I bet you everyone can think of that significant work partner, either currently or they've had in the past, that on our bad days, they lift you up. Or on their bad days, you lift them up. You work together. And that that gives us tremendous meaning because we're wired for that relationship and we want to accomplish things together. So getting to know them and having a manager sort of look at that full dynamic is is really important um, to to success. Now, now, Steve, now you're talking about something here, getting to know our coworkers. I mean, my goodness, <laughs> so if I have time for that, I mean, I got work to do. I got home responsibilities. I got, is this, should it be viewed like an extra, I'm being a little facetious with this, of course, <laughs> but should it be viewed as like an extracurricular thing? How do you become friends with? Your coworkers, when you gotta get stuff done, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'll and I'll I'll piggyback on that by saying that Gallup has the Q12 survey, which one of the questions is, do you have a best friend at work? Which makes a lot of executives uncomfortable and nervous to have to think about. Oh, great! On top of all of the workload, and I I need to worry about engaging. I now I need to worry about whether you know my 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 employees have best friends at work. So yeah. To Rob's point. Yeah, I used to hate that question and made fun of it a lot um, because, yeah, it sounds so like surfacy or like superfluous friend. Who, 
I don't need a friend. I need so but the the relationship that goes deep that you that person has with with that person is 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 really key. And I I I definitely agree with that more so now. But back back to back to your question about how to be purposeful about creating this relationship, especially being virtual. We we don't have that casual conversation in the break room or before the meeting starts. How was your weekend? And you learn that they have kids or they went on a vacation that they or they they volunteered to do such and such. We we're just not making that connection when we're virtual. Um, so people do need to take a little bit of time to be purposeful about not asking like, what's your favorite movie or what's your favorite color? And eh, I mean, that's interesting just to get people's tongues wagging together, but like, what's a good question that would actually unpack a little bit about like Rob Holman. So I would know you a little bit better about what you see in life. Like, you know, what are your, what are your strengths or, what what gets you stressed about work? Um, what what's a good time? What's your, what's the most energizing time of day for you? There's always some interesting story behind that, which is work related, but it's very personal. So I designed a playbook where people can ask these kind of questions. It's very tight. You only need about five minutes in the meeting. But if rapport is one of those things that you're lacking in your organization, you absolutely should and and have ways of going after it to be intentional with it, which is going to make the rest of that meeting feel completely different. Get out of the weeds a little bit and put some humanity on the front end of that experience of the these we're, we're meeting to death and um, it's getting worse. So um, and the virtual separation causes us to need that even more and more. People are I, I, when I saw the, this word lonely, that people are lonely. You think of like, wow, that's 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 a weird way to describe your condition at work. But we're we're lonely because we're missing that connection. So I don't know if that helps, Rob, but uh, people absolutely need to be aware of it and be intentional to go after it. Well, I think it, it speaks to when my wife and I first started dating, we're celebrating 19 years in a few days. <laughs> when we first started dating, talking about, I was working behind the scenes really hard. I'm like, all right, what are the, what are the five surfacey questions I need to ask her? You know, a favorite color, rock band, you know, uh, what's, what are her favorite sports? But where our relationship took a whole new to a whole new level is when that nervous kind of dead air, like, oh no, what's going to happen if I don't ask the right surfacey question? When it started to take on the shape and the form of what you're describing, of asking more meaningful, purposeful questions to really better get to know uh, who Karen is, it took our relationship, not just to a whole new level, it created a depth that would never be there otherwise. So thank you for highlighting that, Steve. You know, it's a good question when people have to pause before they answer. Ooh. And so Marcel's question, like, what's your story? Like, that's a good question. I had to like really pause to think about it because that's a purpose-driven question. And people, by the way, love to answer that. Mm. Um, it, it's a, a true sign of respect. So if you're a leader saying, geez, I, should I waste people's time with these silly questions? Yes. <laughs> if Don't think of them as silly because you're, sh you're showing that you respect them enough that you want to just have some of their character revealed. And by the way, you as a leader have to share that too. Like don't, don't just throw it on the team. <laughs> if I'm going to ask a question, I better be ready to answer it myself. Yeah. 
So let's expand from the work partner amplifier to I, what I what I think is is the the next level is is to expand it out to the team amplifier and bring more meaning into a team environment. And uh, you know, to to me, there's a buzz term that's thrown around easily, loosely these days, and that's belonging. But how would you t- talk talk us through the team amplifier? How is how do we bring more meaning into the team aspect? Well, it's a, Rob, I know, has played professional basketball, and he knows what that team feels like. I think any of us who have ever played sports know how that galvanized commitment that we have together to try to achieve something. Remember, purpose drives meaning. So the more that we can galvanize the resolve of the team, what are we actually trying to accomplish here, team, and and really get clear on that? Now, this aligns totally with Teresa Amabile's discovery with the progress principle. The number one catalyst of the progress principle was having clear goals. Hmm. So to be relentless as a leader to talk about what are we trying to accomplish, galvanize, bring them together. Now, I love it when a sports team, especially a football team, they hold up the four fingers like we're in the fourth quarter, which means a whole different mindset on how you're approaching the work. That is like absolutely galvanizing people on what it's going to take to get it done. And then when you get that done to celebrate that as a team, sort of instead of just checking the individual box on my to do list, checking the team's to do box list is is all part of that too. And that's where you provide the appreciation of, I recognized how you guys work together. That's like the locker room talk afterwards um, for when a team has accomplished something clear goals that with, you know, having a hard stop deadlines and being communicative of that. And then recognizing when they happen, uh, will just set you up for more success for the next time you have even a bigger challenge ahead of, you know, you can do it. You got that confidence that we can rally together. So that's part of the way I position um, being uh, the the team amplifier, as I call it. I'm really curious just to drill down just a little bit deeper on maybe like, are there some key identifiers of a workplace where you just, you walk into the room and it's palpable. You, you just know <laughs> there, there's a strong team here. I mean, what would those identifiers identifiers be, would you say? Oh, I love that. And I can be kind of a wise guy with, with this because I had often tell a client's like, you're you're paying me way too much to, to come in here and do all this analysis and things. If you just allowed me to sort of roam the building if you're if you're not virtual, or pop in on a virtual call and be a voyeur, if I'm listening for laughter, if I hear laughter in this high energy conversation within a group, then I know that there's rapport and that they have meaningful relationships with each other. And guess what's going to follow engagement and performance that they are going to rally and get together. So if you people used to walk into QVC and they'd say without being prompted, like this place has an energy to it. Mm-hmm. They'd walk through and be like, you know, because there was a whole meeting room that you'd go through and the doors would be open and and not all meetings were like whopper room or anything, but it had an energy and a vibe to it. That's really important. So I think that's one of the things any of us can pick up on. If you're looking at those faces on the Zoom call and everyone's like, or they're off camera, like you, 
you know they're beat. You need to be like, okay, time out. Let, let's that's we can't keep on stretching this this far. Like we've got to stop here and regroup and you know put some humor and levity to it. Like, are we really, you know, solving world hunger here today? Come on. Yeah. Um and get get real with people about how hard they're working and, and to uh to put some human in, in the in the mix. So is that, is that Steve, you you are highlighting something I want all leaders to, to, <laughs> to capture right now. Have some fun. Have some fun. Do I have to say it a third time? I mean, there is something so like when you are committed to get to know each other as human beings first, and certainly as working professionals too. Like you can be yourself. Now you have goals in which to accomplish. You want to be on point with those. You're about productivity, of course, but you want to be loose. You had mentioned my my professional basketball. The most effective teams I've ever been on, on the college and professional level, are those we were loose. We enjoyed each other. In other words, fun was infused into the culture. And as a natural byproduct, we became more unified. We became family. Yeah. So thanks for highlight. That's what jumped out to me is like, we need to have a bit more fun. It doesn't mean there's not seriousness in what we do, what we're about, what we're engaged in. It just means in and out of what place are we engaging in those things? Yeah. Well, there's a real performance connection to that, Rob, because you know what the, what the typical reaction is when a person hears a good idea, they laugh. There's, there's something magical about having a, like, what is a good idea? It's something that solves a problem or moves something forward, making progress. And the first reaction people have to a good idea is they laugh or smile. I think that there's something wonderful about that. Like it goes into our brain and rattles around and it comes out like, oh my God, it comes out as, as energy. And uh, so we need energy. If you're not energized, mm-hmm. if you're not hearing it or seeing the smiles, you're probably not solving the problem. Just grinding through it harder doesn't necessarily work sometimes. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, we uh, can't leave this podcast without talking about the manager amplifier because so many of our listeners are in management or leadership role. So walk us through what that is. Yeah. So one thing that I've noticed in dealing with so many managers or leaders over the years, they underestimate how much people want to please them. Think about your role and your boss, your supervisor, how much you will actually do to get accolades or have the boss respect you, value you, include you in more. Uh, this is something that everyone desires from the boss supervisors at the ground level don't realize this much at all. It, that's why they're there to manage people. They don't realize that a lot of people, and some there's are exceptions are there to actually get respect from that manager, that supervisor. So the way the manager can activate this is by giving appreciation to people. So what is what did they do that made a difference and and tell that story of how they did it and then connect the what like why does this make a difference in the bigger picture now instead of just saying good job great job which is okay like that's okay that's that's kind of like on on Facebook or Instagram that's like somebody putting clicking like to the the post 
But if somebody makes a comment about this podcast, like you, I guarantee you, that's the one you're going to read first. Like you're like, what are, what did they say? So it's about managers realizing that people want to please them and then being able to play that back to people, not in a patronizing way, but really thinking about like, what difference did it make that will help that person feel like they matter in this equation? Once you do that, you raise the bar on the expectations for what it's like to work here. And certain people respond so well to that, they they will keep it going. They will keep doing that winning behavior because they're getting that that meaning from it, mm. from you, the boss. So this is free. You don't have, you don't have to go out and create some crazy new program. It's right there about opening your eyes. And I'm not sure who coined the, the phrase. My boss used to use it all the time about catching people doing things right. Just having that mindset. I encourage people, and I'm not, I wasn't naturally great at this myself. Uh, I'm an introvert. I probably had two strikes against me, introvert, and uh, I'm a dude, right? So we, we just, we, we don't maybe do it as well. But I started looking for the common things in life where the bagger at the grocery store was doing, check the eggs and put them on top. And oh, by the way, the eggs are over here. Be careful. Like, I can't believe it. it's so busy here that you did that. And it makes a real difference to me. Thank you so much for, for doing that. Now their eyes go like out of their head when you, when somebody gives them appreciation. And once you realize that it's right there, that's the hidden purpose and meaning that we can surface by just sharing that with people, the waitress, the waiter, the, your barber, like your, your, priest your pastor like all the teacher that took care of your so we need to unpack that i could spend an hour on that but that that's this that's that's the number one thing that i think a manager can do to really impact that equation and to amplify meaning for people one of the things that stood out for me on that chapter is that you you talk about the manager being an advocate and we we don't often associate the word advocate with managers, right? In the work sense, but you talk about how, you know, advocacy should be the role of a work manager, because when you advocate for your employees, you stand in the gap for them, you believe in them, right? You create opportunities to stretch their growth and development and all that. That's being an advocate for me, at least. And I, I so appreciate the fact that when you have that advocate in place there, to nudge employees forward. It's going to give that employee more meaning in the work yeah. that they do. Well, everyone knows whether their boss is an advocate or not by just looking in their eyes. And here's a simple rhetorical question that they're asking. Is my boss for me or against me? <laughs> Are they doing things in my self-interest and our, our, you know, the, the interest of our group and team or are they just after me to do more work and they don't really care about that? They're shoving it down my throat. Everyone knows that. You could ask anyone on the street is there, by just using that simple definition. Once you cross that line and you become the advocate for them, that's when they'll run through the wall for you. Yeah. Because you will make mistakes, but an advocate treats it a little bit differently than somebody who is an antagonist who uses more sticks than carrots. Hmm. All right, so we're going to wrap up this conversation with the last amplifier, but certainly not least, and that's the spirituality amplifier. 
So let me set it up because uh, I think that, you know, a lot of people would never think of spirituality as an amplifier, but it is one of the 11 that you chose in a book. So, I mean, how would you define spirituality in this sense? Yeah. Well, it's the guiding force that drives our life and the decisions that we make at at the Mm. transcendent level, but also in the transformative and the transactional level. The way I might communicate to somebody, the way I might think about them, the way I might be kind to them, the way the actions that we take. So it actually spirituality, even though you sort of think of it as transcendent, actually plays a part in all levels of purpose that we have in our life. It's that important. But if this one is disconnected for somebody who already has, you know, a, a strong affinity toward, you know, their faith or beliefs, if it's incongruent with the work that's being done or the way people are treated at work, they will completely disconnect. They'll probably be the first one to leave the company. If it's incongruent, it's just, it's not a negotiable for people. You can't just check your soul at the door and come to work for a place that's not, not at least aligned. Doesn't have to be like ultra supportive or believe the same thing you do. That's, it's not about that. It just has to reflect the values that come with that spirituality of what you believe about people and life and your higher purpose. So that congruency is really, really important. Steve, I love the spirituality amplifier. When I was reading your book, you highlighted the importance of love. Mm-hmm. And you call them love findings. Like what <laughs> can talk to us a little bit about love, the importance of love within the spirituality amplifier well think think about you know i i asked myself the question should love be a leadership competency and um i i put it out on a post somewhere one time and everyone jumped in and said yes because if we love somebody if we love our coworkers, we love what we do look at the difference in the way we respond to it and in the end, that's the common ground for whatever you believe. Even if you don't have a belief, who would say that love is not the ultimate manifestation of the human condition for how we want to treat our, each other and live our lives and end up at the end of the day, like being a person that manifested love, that spread love, that amplified love to others. So if you set that as a goal for yourself, then again, that's the the plane locking in on the glide path that it will drive some of those even transactional decisions that we make along the way. So that I, I do think that that's universal and, and a powerful force to be reckoned with that we just don't typically feel comfortable talking about at work because it's like, you know, it it's a next level thing. And we also hear that word love and it's thrown around in our culture, not just in the U.S., but world culture. And people might define it a certain way. Mm-hmm. Marcel, you talk a lot about this. We are part of the Love in Action podcast. And so I was wondering if you two could tag team a little bit like what that word love, how should it be defined? Should it be broken down? There's different aspects of love like eros. And yeah, maybe we can, Steve, you want to spark a little bit of a conversation there. Marcel, I love your two cents in the matter too. Yeah. I mean, love has, has specific definitions and uh, you know, from, from the Bible, for example, we have, uh, you know, 
Philos, which is like what Philadelphia is named for. That's the, the brotherly love that Philadelphia is, is named for. And, um, you know, and then we have agape, which is that sacrificial uh, sense of the other person is really more important than me, or I'm here to benefit that person. So if you think about applying that, even in the smallest measure as a leader to the people that you're leading, that's not to sacrifice yourself for them, but to think of them as the advocate, going back to that word, that would drive a little bit different decisions in your value system for how you how you respond and react to them. Mm. So, but I'd like to hear Marcel, like, well, you know, because it's interesting. This this is the namesake for this podcast. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, whenever I and thank you for bringing up because you set the table for which of those original Greek meanings of love is is most transferable to a business leadership environment that would be the agape love um and and that's what at least in my work as a coach and a speaker that's what i tried to i mean i'm banging the drum of agape love um for leaders to understand that when they uh operate from the 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 standpoint of being selfless and and putting the other person ahead of themselves amazing things happen. And I mean, you see, we see it in, in the evidence, you know, we see it really, it's, it's one of the most powerful things you will see in, in the leadership theory and practice is that those that perform from the servant leadership aspect, usually outperform their competitors. Yeah. Think of the loss when somebody that you have a deep relationship at work puts in their notice and you realize you're not going to encounter them every single day. You've developed love for that person. And so it's there. It's it's there when we have those deep relationships with each other. And um, I, I don't want to shy away from it. I, I Life is too short. You know, we're spending 10 hours a day at work. We have to have love there. It doesn't just happen at home. It, we have to have those kind of relationships to feel um feel fully manifest in our, in our own purpose. So yeah, very key. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. And Rob, thanks for bringing us full circle and, you know, and bringing that back to what it really is, what leadership, true leadership is, is about loving others. Well, um, Steve, what is your ultimate hope for people <laughs> reading your book? Wow. The day, there's so many things I could say about that. I, I guess it would have it would be to step outside of yourself as a leader and think about the purpose that those people that are under, you know, within your purview, the purpose that they have for their life, whether it's transactional today or this week, transformative or even transcendent, and then how you can amplify that back to them to help them feel the meaning at work. Because once they do that, that's when they'll be fully engaged. And, you know, it's not just about uh, getting more stuff done. It's about that relationship that'll, that'll happen in that transaction. This is a two for one special. We're going to get a lot done and we're going to build that relationship that is sustainable into the future. And you'll build that, um, that magic be between, you as an advocate 
uh, for others. So I hope that adequately summarizes that for folks as a challenge to really think outside of themselves. Yeah. Steve, close us out. Give us a, you know, that one thing that, that one key takeaway maybe that, that we can walk away with. Well, one of, one of the things that I have come to realize from reading people like, uh, um, like Frankel and people who have suffered enormous um, difficulties is that the most sure way to have a meaningful life for yourself is to actually give it away, Mm. to give it away in the service of others, whether that's to share your faith or to show them what, what the project goal is for today to give it away. will come back to you. We're not going to do it selfishly for our own purpose, but when we give purpose and meaning away to others, that's when we actually will have the lift. So give it away Hmm. and it'll come back to you. The book, again, is called The Search for Meaning at Work, Unleashing the Hidden Power of Purpose to Engage and Fulfill Your Workforce. Hey, if uh, people want to connect with you, find out more about you, your work, how can they do that? Where can they go? Yeah, AmplifyMeaning.com is the website for the book. And uh, I'd, I'd love any questions or challenges or just find out what's purposeful and meaningful for you. And, and your work. And I'd love to hear that. So thank you. Amplifymeaning.com. It's been awesome. And hey, Rob, yes. thanks for inviting this guy on our show. And I'm so glad that you did. And Steve, it was great having you. Oh, my pleasure. I, it's so wonderful to, to speak with folks who are, are just aligned in this way as well. So thank you for all the amazing work that, that both of you are doing. I really appreciate it. Appreciate you, Steve. You can <laughs> keep you. the conversation going on social media with hashtag love and action podcast and also look for my show notes as well as a YouTube link to this very episode that you can watch on my website, marcelschwantes.com. Rob Holman can be found at robholman.com. That's Rob with two Bs, holman.com. For Steve, Rob, and yours truly, stay safe. We'll see you next time. Peace out. Thank you for listening to the Love in Action podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it, subscribe, and leave us a review. Until next time, don't forget, the future of leadership is love in action. Believe it, practice it, and watch your business grow.